0: all of them Your face, with all of my heart, and I will see Your face, with all of my heart, and I will see Your face, with all of.
1: For your presence. Lord, we gather here this morning to worship you, because no matter what's going on around us, no matter what's happening inside us, you are the same, and you are worthy of all of our praise. And so, Father, meet your people here in this place. Our prayer, our desire is that we don't leave this place the same way we came in. And so, Holy Spirit, do the surgery that's required. We pray that the word be a scalpel to our hearts. Change us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. It's uh, always encouraging to see how things come together with the songs and and just the Holy Spirit working. And as I, as I prayed and thought about what I wanted to talk about, you know, especially coming back from vacation and having more time uh, to think about that, most of the time when I preach, it's, it's, it comes from what I've been going through in my life or, or my prayers, my situations. And as I prayed and, and just cried out to God, Lord, in this, in this next season... What is it that I want? What do what, what I want to see made manifest in my own life? And two words came to mind. Humility and service. Humility and service. Because men and women of God are men and women whose lives are marked by service. Are men and women whose lives are marked by humility. Humility. You cannot be a servant of God and not serve God. And the reality is, you know, as I was on vacation, I was reading and, and just kind of, you know, I, I disconnected from the phone for a little bit and, and, you know, I was camping out on the beach. and It was very peaceful and relaxing. And it was like, you know, I, I heard this, this voice that was, you know, it's like the little in cartoons, the little devil and the angel And this voice said, you know, you could do this all the time. If you go back to working on computers, you know, you just work a few hours a week, make a lot of money, then sit on the beach. And I knew that wasn't the angel talking. You know, but as I kind of thought through that, and and, you know, and and right when I came back from vacation on the Monday, I had to do a funeral. I was asked to do a funeral for somebody that I didn't know, as a friend of a friend. And I showed up. And I ministered to this family, to this woman whose husband died at forty years old, it was very broken. And as I after I performed the funerals, obviously very difficult. Funerals are always difficult, particularly for younger people. As I was driving home by myself, I just thought, nothing compares to this. There's nothing better than showing up, even when it's uncomfortable, and ministering to other people meeting people in their brokenness and making a difference because the reality is we are healed to heal you've heard me say that before we just we just sang you grace abounds in deepest waters when things are are the most troublesome when we when we're surrounded by fear there in the midst of that is god's powerful amazing grace I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. What is our our first instinct when difficulty comes? Is it to praise God? Because he's worthy of praise. I will call upon your name. You know, I think that as as life takes us to the place where we learn to do that more and more, we're uniquely able to minister more and more. The things we go through, our testimony, equip us. To minister to others. And so I want to talk this morning about living to serve. Because we've said before that we strive to make Jesus the center of everything we do. You know, for too many people, Jesus is an additive. He's just something that, you know, you you do on, on Sunday, you have your work life, and you have your, your, your friend life, and you have your relationships, and you have your, your, your finances, your, your economics, your politics. You have all these little compartments, and then you have your religious life. But instead, Jesus is asking that we love Him fully, that we trust Him as a result of that love, that we follow Him as a result of that trust and love, and that we obey Him. You see, Jesus proved his love for us, and our lives are an opportunity to prove our love to him. So we're going to look today at a life living, trusting in God, because I, I say to you that that's always a life marked with service. It was like that way for Christ, for the disciples, for Paul, for David, for Joseph, For all of us who, despite our circumstances and despite what the world or our flesh tells us to seek after, instead, we seek after the things of God, doing His will in all situations. You see, Paul was a follower, and his life was about serving Jesus. Every moment, every situation was an opportunity to know God. You know, the, the great blessing in the garden was an intimate relationship with Jesus. And that's what, that with God, and that's what Christ came to restore. That relationship, that intimate relationship once again. We can come to know Jesus. To know the Father, to be in a relationship once again. And so matter no matter what's happening around us right now, politics, racism, the virus, economic issues, our own personal stuff, God knows about that. He is still in control. And here's the thing. This is going to be my my thesis statement of the sermon. Difficulty provides an opportunity for intimacy. Difficulty provides a unique opportunity for intimacy. And when you are walking intimately with God, that's always the basis for ministry. In fact, you can't export what you don't possess. You can't do ministry without walking intimacy, intimately with God. We're going to see that in some scriptures this morning. But in Philippians 3, Paul writes, But whatever were gains to me, whatever in my life I've accomplished, whatever in my life I've accumulated, anything that I previously considered of value, any of those things, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things and I consider them, gar- them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God. Paul saying, my life should be marked not by what I've gained, not by what I've accomplished, but by who I know. And so I know when things are difficult. And, you know, and I've said before, you know, our prayers can be, Lord, change the situation. And that's fine. And sometimes He does, but often He doesn't. And so then our prayer should always be, change me in the midst of it. Because I'll tell you, and I've said before, I hate to admit this, because then God's going to know but the reality is, when I go through the toughest times, I feel the closest to Jesus. When I go through, you know, I'm in this time, and I have, you know, this vacation, and I'm relaxing, and I spent my time devoting, you know. But I, was, I, I felt a disconnection, really. And then I get back into the ugliness, into the heartbreak, into the thick of it. And I'm forced to pray, because I got to do a funeral. And then after that, I spent two hours on the phone ministering to somebody who's going through a very difficult time in their marriage heartbreaking and 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 in those moments having to depend on him and then also realizing that man what a blessing it is what a blessing it is to allow God to work through me to be a vessel friends that's not just pastors that's not just me and Jamie we are all called to be ministers of reconciliation we're all called to be ministers of the gospel and I know it's uncomfortable, and it doesn't get more comfortable the longer you do it. I'm never in a situation where I walk into a family where, where they've, they've experienced great loss and great heartbreak, and it's natural for me. But I show up. Because when I was broken, people showed up for me. And Paul knows that difficulty provides a unique opportunity for intimacy, and intimacy is the basis for all ministry. In fact, you can't have a deep, abiding, intimate relationship with Jesus and not have that affect everyone around you. It's an overflow. And so I want to begin, I want to ask the question, do you want to experience God's grace? Do you? Do you want His blessing? Do you want to be used of Him, placed in positions where you can uniquely be used of Him? And we would say yes to that. In 1 Peter 5, verse 5 and 6, it says, Likewise, younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We want to be recipients of God's grace. And, and God's and God saying here, the, the scripture saying, Be submissive to one another, be clothed with humility. I have to stop and ask myself, am I submissive? Am I submissive to the, to the body of Christ, to the people that God's placed in my life? Am I clothed in humility? Because I think if you're a disciple, your life has to be marked by service and humility. It has to be. I mean, that's, that's a description of Jesus' life. And we're, we're claimed to be followers of Jesus. So I have to stop and say, does this... Is this made manifest? Is this real in my life? And it's not oftentimes. It's not. And the the longer you're in, you know, I'm in positions at Teen Challenge. I've been there for a long time, and I'm the pastor of the church. And so the longer you're in positions of leadership, the easier it is to sort of retreat into that. To where people don't call you out on stuff. To where you have to invite. You know, and I'm so grateful for our our leadership team. I'm so grateful that we don't have a group of people that just say yes to whatever I think, but that we seek in the spirit and, and the unity of God to determine the way forward, that we're open to listen to the body of Christ. We are serving you. That's the role of leadership is to serve, to be the chief servants. Am I clothed with humility I don't know. I'd like to hope I am, but honestly, I have to fight against my flesh constantly. It says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I want to be the recipient of his grace, but how much effort do I put into being humble? Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You know, sometimes we have some things we want to do, and sometimes those are the right things, just the wrong time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, you know, God's called you to do a certain thing, maybe called you to step out in a certain way, but you're you're like way ahead of them. You're rushing out. Sometimes just the timing's wrong, and we got to learn to wait. We got to learn to trust. We got to learn to be still. And know that He is God. Be submissive to one another means consider other people above yourself. It's the opposite of the message the world espouses. The Christian message is one of understanding that God has set set us free from ourselves to live for Him. That's what Christian freedom is. We're set free from ourselves to now live for God. That's the essence of Christian freedom. So what are we doing with that? You know, there are certain cultures where they will make decisions, and you know, I think um, as Americans in general, I think sometimes we can do things, where we can make decisions that we know won't really affect us, but will affect our kids. I think we're at that level for the most part, we see that. Very rarely do you see somebody making decisions that they know were probably just going to affect their grandkids. But there are certain cultures where they're making decisions now that they know it won't even affect their grandkids. It may affect their great-grandkids, but they're, they're not so short-sighted that they're looking generations down the road. Because they know that their life isn't just for them. You know, we talk about the building. And would it be nice to have a new building for us? Sure, sure it would. And I, I pray and I hope that if God's will, that's what happens. But you know what? I'm not thinking about that necessarily. It's not just about me. It's not just about us. I'm thinking about 50 or 100 or 150 years from now when hopefully South Coast is still light in the darkness. I'm thinking about those generations. I'm thinking about my kids and my kids' kids and so on and so forth. I want to be forward thinking, kingdom minded. It's so easy to get so caught up in, in today. It plays into our pride. You see, in Matthew 20, verse 20 through 28, we have such a, such a common scenario being played out. It's then the, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her son. She goes to Jesus, kneeling down and asking something from him. Can you picture the scene thinking she's got a, an in, you know, kneels down, everything. Jesus, Jesus, could, could I ask you something? We're, you know, we're friends, right? You know me, you know my family. Jesus, I got something to ask you. And so he says, what do you wish? And she says, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. Such a Such a human question, isn't it? Hey Jesus, do you think you know my sons, they're good boys, they've been following you. I can't do with Tiago. I can't do the oh I, I picture that though, the old Portuguese lady, right? They're good boys, Jesus, right She's you know can, can they get a little little special you know special place, a little favor? because that's what it's about, right? I mean' that's, that's the whole point of knowing somebody rich and powerful is so they can kind of shoo you into a, a position, right? But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. You don't know. You don't really know what that question means. Because to, be, to have a favored status in my kingdom, my kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. Do you really know what you're asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said, we are able, of course, Jesus. Anything for you, Jesus. And you know, it's interesting because we, we hear this exchange. And you know, whenever we read people behaving not the right way in the Bible, we always kind of, we, we see that as a distance. Like we don't internalize that. Like the prodigal son, that's us. We internalize, oh, we came home. Like, but whenever people are doing the wrong thing, that's always uh, like a lesson for us to learn. Like it's outside of us. This is so natural. This isn't outside of us. This is kind of what we do. Well, Jesus, we're going to follow you and maybe we get like some special treatment, Jesus. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Now, I really can't help but think that this was a little bit, you know. Do you think that they were displeased because they were so spiritual? I thought, how can you guys ask that? No, there was probably a little bit of like, you know, they, they would have asked first. And, you know, this is a, we always, you know, project all kind of stuff in Scripture. But Jesus called them to himself, verse 25, and said, You know that the rules of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. He's saying, look, you understand that in the world with authority, you get to kind of tell people what to do and and everybody serves you. You understand how that works in the world, right? Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the scriptures I'm going to read this morning, and the scriptures that I feel like God was was using to minister to me, get at the heart of gospel living. They're not about doing the religious stuff. They're, They're a continuation of what we've talked about with the Beatitudes. They're about our hearts. We live in a world where it's always all about us. What can we accumulate or accomplish? What accolades or applause can we get? But this is not the way of Christ. In fact, it's the opposite. The American dream and the way of Jesus cannot only not coexist, but they are completely at odds with one another. One of them is always about what you can do, what you can get, climbing the ladder for yourself. And I'm not talking about ambition. I'm not talking about, you know, doing the best you can. I'm not even talking about success. I'm talking about having that be the primary thing that motivates you in your life. I hope that you're trying to do the best that you can. I hope that if you own a business, you're trying to make it as profitable as you can. It's about making secondary things primary. That's the problem. The reason Jesus talked so much about money wasn't that money was bad, was that that was the idol on most of our hearts. That is. That's why he talked about it, because it's a heart condition. And if it was something else, he would have talked about that other thing. Your gifts are never for you. Your spiritual gifts are for the body. And so when we talk about leveraging your resources for the kingdom, it begins with our hearts to spread the gospel, to help the poor, to feed and clothe and minister. Where does your time go? Is your life all about you? Because if it is, this message is going to hurt. I read a quote the other day, and it said this, there are never those more offended that." more offended than the justly accused. There are never those more offended than the justly accused. When I hear something and it really cuts at me, I'm offended. I'm insulted. But this is the word of God. And you know what? I'm offended and assaulted first. Because I, as I read this and I think of my life and I think of how easy it is to be religious on the outside How easy it is to show up places and have everybody go, oh, Pastor Brian, he's such a, he loves Jesus. And then be real ugly on the inside. Be real far from God sometimes on the inside. Choose what's easy instead of what's right. So this stuff, God's word is the teaching of Christ. We can either ignore it, we can hear it and forget about it. Oh, we can try with God's grace and mercy to apply it. Proverbs 11, 2, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. See, Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't himself done. And I alluded the last time I preached to John 13 when Jesus watched the disciples' feet, and I want to read it for you. Because of everything Jesus taught, and did this to me is just one of the most beautiful. If I if I were if I were only able to be in Jesus' presence for one thing, I think maybe this would be it. Verse 12 When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place and said, Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, You call me teacher and lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. not if you talk about them, not if you memorize them. I said in the beginning, do we want blessing? And we say yes. But here's an example. Jesus is saying, you know, you've you've seen me teach. You've heard what I said. You've seen my lessons. You've seen my miracles. And now I'm going to do this one last thing for you. And pay attention because I'm asking you to do the same thing. Not to literally wash each other's feet, but to figuratively wash another's feet. To look around and see whose feet are dirty. Who needs help. In a way that's uncomfortable to us. In a way that moves us out of our comfort zone. In a way that we might think for a moment is beneath us. Well, maybe somebody else can do that part because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the pastor. I'm the, I'm the preacher. Somebody else can go and, and do that. It's so easy for us to do that. So we know with service and humility comes grace and wisdom and blessing. And so I want to take a look this morning at a similar story with another foot washing. And I want us to look at another lesson the most important give, gift that God wants to give us. I want us to live to serve. I don't want us to miss out, because in the story I'm going to read, this is, a, this is a church in the worst kind of way. And there's a sinner who breaks in and exposes that. You see, we must submit to Jesus in order to learn from him. That's where it begins. We have to learn to submit to Christ. None of this is going to make sense if we just try on our own. Well, I need to put more effort into doing that. no. No, good luck with that. You need to put more effort into submitting to Jesus and to looking at all the things that you've made, that you've placed above him on your heart and say, Lord, I want to put you first. Because that intimacy will be the basis for ministry. You can't help but do it. You can do all kind of ministry without without, uh, intimacy with Jesus, all kind of religious stuff. But real, eternal, lasting ministry comes as an overflow of intimacy with Jesus. We submit to Jesus in order to learn from Him. We learn from Him in order to become humble like Him. And we must become humble like Him if we want to be recipients of the gifts and blessings God has for us. See, that's the reality. As I I put myself in situations that I don't want to be in, and I could give you a whole bunch more examples, and I've shared with the leadership team some things I'm going through, where I want to say things and I want to behave a certain kind of way, and instead I'm doing what I know to be the right thing, but I've got to admit I'm doing it reluctantly. I mean, that's better than not doing it at all, but I'm real reluctant. I'm having these conversations with God. All right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it to make you happy, but I don't want to do it. Just know that. You ever have those conversations with God? Right. Okay, but I want credit for this one because I don't want to do this at all. And God's going, okay, well, you know, it's good that you're doing it. And then you know what happens, I do it, and the individuals that are involved respond not in the way I think they would, but in a way that the Holy Spirit is controlling the whole thing, and I'm having conversations and I'm just blown away. Because when we walk in obedience to Him, it's amazing what the Holy Spirit does. And I find myself at the end of these moments just in prayer with God and just, you know, just being in in, in that moment, in that place where I don't even have the words to say. Where I'm just in his presence and he goes, yeah, I told you. This is what happens when you live for me and when you're obedient. Even when you're reluctant. And so I pray that next time maybe you're a little less reluctant. And you trust, because that's that's it. It's not just doing what he wants us to do, right? I mean, that's a step, and if that's all you got, walk in that. If all you can do is walk in obedience, walk in that. It's better than walking in disobedience. But in, in this process, I've prayed, Lord, just change my heart. Because I don't want to be reluctant, I want to be willing. I want to serve you gladly. See, we know the gospel is good news, but we also know it's only good news if we understand the bad news. Our flesh is not converted. Jesus, the Savior, comes for those who need saving. And the bad news is that's every single one of us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Colossians 1, 21-23. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... That's me. That's you. He has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's what Jesus did for us. So our minds were depraved and corrupt. Our deeds are evil. The Bible says our heart is wicked. Jeremiah 17:9. 17, Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So we gotta understand the, the, the default. We gotta understand the position we're in. Sin affects the things we desire, our heart. It affects the way we think, our mind. And therefore, it affects the way we live our actions. And too often we think if we can just change our actions. And the Bible is filled with the religious people who changed their actions, but their heart and their mind were the same. Here's the good news, Romans ten nine. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And in verse 17, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing the gospel message, and we respond to that message in our heart. And we confess Christ is Lord with our mouth. I'm not going to assume that because you're here, you're saved. I'm not going to assume that at all. I'm not even going to assume because you've been to church thousands of times that you're saved. Because what makes you saved is when you confess in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Confess in your heart. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, not in an emotional reaction, not in an intellectual sense, but have you ever come to the place where have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Are you just trying to do all this religious stuff that makes you look Christian and seem Christian? Because if at the beginning, when I talked about a life marked by service and humility, if you've said, "You know, my life's not my, marked by that at all," well, you, you have a couple choices. You can go away sad like the rich young ruler when Jesus confronts him with a situation. You can go away sad because your own decision. Or he can do business with the Lord. Or he can say, you know, I've never really submitted to him. You see, sin should break us all. I've heard people say when I've shared my testimony, well, you know, my life, I've never really been been broken. Well, you don't have to be, you know, stuck in addiction or some kind of a, a grievous outward sin to be broken. You just have to get to the end of yourself. You have to realize your need for a Savior. You have to understand the truths of the Bible. And then you submit. When Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment, Mark 12, verse 30 through 31, of all the rules, Jesus, of all the regulations, Jesus, if we only had to follow a couple, what's the most important, Jesus? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. You see, the love your neighbor as yourself is going to be an outflow of the first. In fact, it's really one sentence. They're not two separate things. One is the practical application of the other one. And in order to live a life marked by humility and service, you've got to love God with everything you are. You know, it's not so complicated, this stuff. It's very complicated to live out. So we have to rely on God. But it's not complicated to understand. It's very easy to understand. Love God with your heart, with a new heart, with your soul, with your mind, which is your thoughts, with your strength, Your strength is your intentions and your actions, but we have a choice to make. And I think the scripture this morning is really going to contrast the two options we have two responses to Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 7, verse 36. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It's kind of tucked in there. It doesn't really have a a heading for this particular scenario. Verse 36 says, One of the Pharisees asked asked him, meaning Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Before I read this, I believe that Jesus saying to each of us, Brian, I have something to tell you. Because it's so often we can, we can see a scenario or we can be in a scenario and we can be in a situation and we cannot see it for what it really is. And so Jesus tells this story. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. There's a lot there. I'm going to try to unpack as much as I can, but there's a lot there. First of all, may we never be a place where a sinner cannot come among us and be comfortable asking for help. May we never get so prideful that we forget ourselves the great need we have of Jesus every single day. I want us to note some things. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. Jesus was invited to his house, and he went. Some of us get to that place. You know, we, we show up to church. where We're sitting down at the table with Jesus, as it were. We've invited him to dinner. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... Now, it seems oftentimes it's thought of that the woman is a prostitute. She could well have been. The truth is we don't know for sure. It doesn't say. Luke doesn't come right out and say that, but because of the description, she was a known sinner. In other words, she had a, a public reputation for being a sinner. It hardly matters, really, her sin. The point was she was a sinner, like you and me. And also, like every one of those religious men, reclined around the table with Jesus. So Scripture says, when she learned he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster, uh, alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So think about that right now. Just think about the situation. Because here's this woman, and she's obviously at a point, and we're going to see as we go on, she's obviously at a point of great regret, of great brokenness over her sin. In fact, things are so bad for her that she hears Jesus is sitting at the table with these men. Now you've got to understand that the last group of people in the world this woman would have wanted to been in the presence of are these men. Can, can you imagine how broken she must have been to get to the place where she said, I don't even care what anybody's going to say about me. I don't care about the judgment. I don't care about the criticism. I am so broken. I need Jesus. Have you ever gotten to that place? It just didn't matter what you looked like, what people said to you. You just needed to be in the presence of Jesus. She knows she's going to be judged, and she knows she's going to be shunned, and she goes anyway. She's tied and broken and doesn't care about etiquette because she desperately knows that she needs forgiveness. Now alabaster jars were often made from precious stone found in Israel. The stone resembles the texture of marble. It was extremely expensive to own. They contained ointments and oils and perfumes and the thick stone would prevent the aroma from escaping. The shape of the jar had a long neck and it was sealed on top and so to open the jar it had to be broken which meant it could be used only once. Now, oftentimes in ancient times, the women who owned these jars were prostitutes. And they would use this perfume, this cologne, to lure in men. So this was, in fact, her most valuable possession. Now, there's a lot of interpretations on why she would do this. But some scholars have said that it was symbolic that she was giving up her old sinful, sinful life. That she was submitting herself to following Jesus. That there was, in a way, no turning back. That she didn't just feel bad about some of the choices she had made, but she was repenting in the true sense of the word. She was deciding to go forward and not look back at yesterday. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. As a contrast, you have this woman who is not religious, who is completely outside of the circle, and who knows who Jesus is to the point where she will do anything to be in his presence. And you have this clown who invited Jesus to sit at dinner with him, and is questioning who he even is. He was just like a teacher and, you know, it would probably look good to his friends if he got Jesus to dinner. But Jesus is sitting right there and he doesn't know. Oh, if this guy was who he says he was. Here is one possible response to Jesus' message. In fact, some church people have this very response. They know all the information, they read the Bible, they go to church, and with all that information, they look down on others who they think are worse off than them. That's why I told you these were religious people in the worst kind of way. I pray that your experience in church has never been like this. And if it is, I pray it never is again to be the kind of place sitting around where everybody has the right theology and everybody has the right information and their hearts are so far from Jesus that they wouldn't know who he was if he sat down among them. And here's this woman is so broken and so aware of her brokenness that she doesn't even care what people say. She just needs to be with Jesus. And she, and she breaks through this fake church and Jesus gives this teaching. And so Jesus is trying to teach the man. And he says to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. He says, say it, teacher. Okay, I'm I'm willing to listen to your wisdom, teacher. So again, Jesus is invited to the house. And he shows up at the house. And he's willing to try and teach the religious people who just don't get it. And he tells the story about the moneylender and the two debtors. You see, he's giving them understanding. He's giving them intellectual understanding. He's giving them information. But, and don't miss this, for information to lead to transformation, that takes humility. For information to lead to transformation, that takes humility. Humility. It involves repentance, and there's only one person at dinner that day who truly understands this. And so understand this too, because there is only one person at dinner that day who receives the forgiveness of their sin and the peace that comes with that. When the dinner party broke up, there was a group of people who went unchanged, who continued in their ignorance, And there is one woman who is dramatically set free. Two responses to the same message, to the same teaching. And then Jesus gets a little more pointed when he says to Simon, do you see her? Simon, she did all the things that you were supposed to do and didn't. I came here, you didn't offer me any water. She hasn't stopped washing my feet. You gave me no kiss. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment that, that res- it was her entire life savings. Simon, what, make, what made you so proud that you didn't respond to me in all the ways you were re- supposed to respond to me? That's essentially what Jesus is saying. We have an opportunity to process this. Because this Pharisee, with all of his knowledge, and there are lots of people who have knowledge of the things of God. With all his power and all his prestige, he didn't even do what a good host should have done. It's important that we understand that the Pharisees knew the Scriptures. And yet this man refused to have Jesus' feet washed. He refused to meet Jesus with respect. He showed his disdain by wanting to prove him wrong, and he showed Jesus no affection. Contrast that with this woman who was humble, likely very unsophisticated, probably not educated. She didn't know the law like these men did, but she knew enough. And with what she knew, she fell at Jesus' feet. She anointed him. And she loved Jesus. And for that, Jesus said, Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. And immediately, what happened? Did those guys say, Boy, we we missed this. Like, we got to reevaluate. Like, hold on, guys. We just witnessed something beautiful here. Maybe, you know, maybe we need to repent. Maybe we need to adjust. Nope. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Rather than repenting and falling at the feet of Jesus as they should have, they remained proud and stubborn and obstinate. And for that they have neither salvation nor peace, and Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So what will your response to Jesus be? What will you do with the knowledge of God that you have? This morning we talked about the news, the bad news of our condition, of all of our conditions, and yet if you're here, you don't have to remain in that condition, You know, sometimes people say, oh, I've always been that way. You know, my father was that way. My grandfather, I've always been that way. Christians don't have that excuse. There is nothing in your life where the excuse, I've always been that way, is valid ever at all. And if you've heard that, and if you think it, it's a lie. Because my Bible says, if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. Amen? Amen. If you're here, respond with humility and repentance and leave forgiven and with peace. Proverbs 28, verse 13, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Blessed is the one who trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. As the worship team comes up, the Hebrew word for repentance, it's pronounced shuv, it occurs over a thousand times in the Old Testament. And it simply means to turn, either literally changing direction or returning. In the New Testament, the first mention of repentance is in the preaching of John the Baptist. John is sometimes called the last of the Old Testament prophets, and his preaching of repentance is in line with theirs. It's translated by the Greek word metanoia. It's turning from and then turning to. It's turning from unrighteous behavior, from your past, and to the Lamb of God. You've heard me say before, it was used often as a military term that described an about face. It describes a soldier marching in one direction and then turning around and marching in the complete opposite direction. And used in a spiritual sense, the full biblical definition of repentance is a change in mind that results in a change of action. Acts 26.20 declares, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. To To repent in relation to salvation is to change our mind regarding Jesus Christ. And Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, he concludes his sermon with a call for people to repent. My friends, I want us to take a moment right now. Close your eyes. And I want to invite us to pray. I don't care what your yesterday looks like. I I care what your tomorrow looks like. I care with what your right now looks like. And you've heard Pastor Jamie and I preach that we don't want to play church. Life is too short to pretend. And the worst kinds of churches are those people where everybody gets around and looks at how religious they are and how much they know and they don't recognize Jesus sitting in their midst. And when a sinner comes in, all they do is judge them. Let us be a group of people marked by a collective brokenness and grief of our own sin first. Let us be a people who welcome sinners as Jesus did and who never are not aware of our own great need for the presence of Jesus in our lives. It's not about what we know. It's about who we know. Theology and doctrine are important only insofar as they point us to the person of Jesus Christ. And that should cause us to repent in his presence. And so, Father, we take a moment now and we ask that you search our hearts. And for the next few seconds, God, bring to our attention those things that you want to bring to our attention. Lord Jesus, search us. Father, we are so grateful that your word makes us uncomfortable, that yes, you love us right where we are at this moment, but that you love us so much that you don't want to leave us right where we are, that through your word and your spirit, that through this community, your people, Father, you encourage us, you motivate us toward good works, toward humility and service toward an awareness of the difficulty around us, God. Let us be footwashers. Let us never come to the place where we think it's somebody else's job, or we're too good for it. Let our knowledge of you never lead to pride, but always lead to humility. Father, as we close this service in worship this morning, we pray once again that you help us focus our hearts and minds, just on You, Lord. Not on what we did yesterday or didn't get done yesterday, what we need to do today, but on You. Change us from the inside out. Father, we love You and we thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Can
0: you please stand, church. Thank you, Pastor Brian. (coughs) He had mentioned a quote along the lines of difficulty allows for opportunity for intimacy. His power, as we're going to sing, by only His might, by seeking Him, by worshiping Him, with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our strength. Could that take place? Could that even happen? That intimacy, that life change? If I can be honest for uh, 10 seconds, kind of bothered me to even sing a song with such truth that says, and I will worship you with all of my heart. And I will worship you with all of my mind. And I will worship you with all of my strength, because honestly,